Welcome back, everyone, to Talking Smack, Talking Superheroes, Movies, Action, Comics. Uh, with me this week is Derek. He's one of our behind-the-scenes guys, but he's kind of stepping on both sides of the curtain this week. Hello, everyone. And this week we're talking both Voltron Season 4 and Star Wars Rebels Season 4, but we've always got news, so let's start with the news. First things first, uh, we haven't really been talking much about comics, and obviously comics is in our name. Uh, one of the big things that happened in this most recent week of comics is Catwoman accepted Batman's wedding proposal, or marriage proposal, I guess. About time. <laughs> well, I mean, Batman's kind of got his thing going on with Catwoman. He's got his thing going on with Talia al Ghul. So you never really know what's going on. He's got a, an illegitimate child with... Batman can do whatever he wants. Because he's goddamn Batman. It's interesting because... Batman's always been portrayed as more of a loner, despite the fact that he has, like, nine different sidekicks. Guys a butler. still have their needs. <laughs> That's true. Even <laughs> even uh, fictional ones, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm very excited to see where this story goes, because it, it changes the dynamic of Batman, because instead of him risking everything for the sake of the mission, he now has someone... I don't know if they're going to team them up. I would assume that they would end up becoming partners as well. But now he's got someone that he's got someone who is not necessarily who someone who doesn't necessarily have the same values as he does. Catwoman is a little more gray area. She can be more of an anti-hero, but she to get what she wants, she will do whatever it takes, including killing someone. Where Batman has the, that very strict no killing policy. Does this mean that it's going to change his behavior at all? I would one would assume so because again he also has someone at home waiting for him not just Alfred he has his wife and that that changes a perspective. I have a hard time seeing Selena just sitting around at home waiting for him to come. It's <laughs> I understand the reference. Yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a different way of viewing Batman, but it's it'll also be interesting. I as long as it's being written well, I think it'll be very entertaining. Batman has his his family the bat family he's got nightwing he's got tim drake uh jason todd's back he's got damien he's got barbara and now he's got selena who's always kind of been you know his side girl and now all of a sudden she's his wife again not she's not necessarily staying at home and you know baking a cake or anything so their idea of a couple's night out is him catching her in the middle of a heist sounds like some solid role-playing to me <laughs> But yeah, you know, maybe maybe they are doing something as the the new dynamic duo and she decides, oh, there's something there that I want, even though now she's billionaire wife, you know, she can go buy it. But the, the thrill of stealing might, you know, cause some troubled waters in that relationship. It's more fun for her. Exactly. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. The next thing we have on our list here is Luke Besson, I believe is how you pronounce his name, is working on a Lucy sequel. The studio behind Lucy, as well as the Taken trilogy and a handful of other fairly successful action movies, uh, Europa, they also produced Valerian, the the planet of a thousand, the city of a thousand planets. Yes. Yeah. Which critically was a huge bust. Uh, you could say nicely. It didn't feature any anyone that really drew anyone into the theaters. Um, Dane DeHaan's a fine actor, but my problem with that movie was that he and Cara Delevingne look a lot alike. And I thought she was supposed Which, to be like a, a clone of his. I assumed watching the trailers that they were siblings. Yeah, I, I didn't know because the first trailer that we got, I was like, is, is, he, is she supposed to be a clone of his or is she supposed to be his sister? What's going on there? 
And then Alex informed me that they were actually love interests. Yeah, and that just creeped me that. out. And I had no interest in the movie whatsoever, regardless of how visually appealing it looked. And Cara Delevingne does nothing for me. I don't like her at all. She's she's openly admitted that she hates casting calls and she doesn't like auditioning. She thinks she should just get handed everything. Obviously, even, in Hollywood, that's not going to work. I don't even know if I've seen her in anything. She was in Paper Towns, and she nope. was the Enchantress in Suicide Squad. She's fine. She's kind of pretty. I, I don't know. She doesn't appeal to me in that way. Another Lucy sequel, I don't know what they would do with it. Uh, the studio Europa is kind of gearing back towards Taken and Lucy as their, their go-to formula because Lucy made $400 million on a $40 million budget. And that's having Morgan Freeman and Scarlett Johansson in the movie. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. But yeah, I don't really know what they're going to do story-wise because it seemed like they pretty much wrapped everything up at the end of the movie. Yeah, it was a very clear and concise story. So we'll see. Maybe Lucy finds a way to reconstitute herself. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess she. the end said that she was everywhere. So I'm not really sure. It was a very weird movie. There was that scene where she was in the, the stall or the bathroom in the airplane and her hand kind of like starts glitching out like a bad YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly thought she was hallucinating or something or I thought something was wrong with my DVD. Or Blu-ray, actually. I'm just used to saying DVD because I'm old. But yeah, she she started having that weird hand thing where I guess she was dissolving or something. It was a really weird moment because, again, nothing in the movie at that point had done something like that. So I thought something was wrong with my disc. It was a weird movie. I know my wife really enjoyed it. I thought it was fine. It wasn't my cup of tea, but it, it was fine. It was worth watching for 90 minutes. It was exactly my cup of tea. <laughs> Interesting sci-fi with interesting characters, bad yep. facts about using 10% of our brains. Yep. Um, I did like the, the title cards when she like hit the next level, you know, uh, 80%. And then like that's the next act of the movie, which I thought that was interesting. That was kind of cool. We'll see. I mean, people obviously went to go see it and it made a, a good amount of money plus DVD sales. It's up to Luc Besson to make something worthwhile for we'll, the general we'll see audience. If it's just a shadow of the original. I mean, it's a sequel, so it's supposed to continue the story and enhance the story. It's not necessarily supposed to beat the story. So we'll see if they can build on it. John Wick 2, I don't think, was made by Europa, but where it kind of fell apart for me was that it just kind of... It was two-thirds of a really solid John Wick movie, and then the last third of the movie just became a prequel to John Wick 3, which I hate movies that do that. It takes me out of the moment because you're just clearly setting up for something later where I just want a clear and concise story within the movie I'm watching. Uh, Again, unless it's something like It, which I'm not going to go see because I don't like horror movies. No, no, thank you. But It, we know there is something coming, so there can be be threads to set up. You don't have to sacrifice your complete story to set something up later. In other news, Kate Winslet is signed on to play the character of Ronal in the Avatar sequel, parentheses, for, at least for Avatar 2, which is slated for December 18th, 2020. With the name Ronal, I think she's going to be some kind of alien, but among other things, we still don't know if Avatar 2 is going to continue to take place on Pandora, which I feel like that's what people know, so that might be where they're leaning towards, but maybe they're going to move to a different setting. Maybe they're going to take the Na'vi off-world. We don't know what's going on. 
But Kate Winslet and James Cameron both are on record saying that it's mostly just because they wanted to work together again. They haven't worked together since Titanic, which James Cameron has only done one movie since Titanic, which is the first Avatar. She wanted in on it because she wanted to work with them again. I'm all for Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet might bring me into the theaters to see Avatar 2. Uh, This podcast is probably going to be the number one reason why I go see Avatar 2, so we can talk about it and have a discussion with our listeners, depending on how many we have in 2020. We might go from two to zero. Who knows? I don't know. I liked the first Avatar. I I never actually saw it in theaters. Part of it for me was kind of ruined once someone told me that's basically a space Pocahontas. Yeah, it was like Pocahontas meets Ferngully meets Dances with Wolves. I I didn't make that connection the first time I watched the movie. And then afterwards, once it was pointed out to me, it just kind of let the wind out of my sails, so to speak. <laughs> like I just lost lost interest. You couldn't paint with all the colors of the wind at that I point? I could not. Just because, maybe it's just because I, I loved the actual Pocahontas movie. To think that basically it's a sci-fi Pocahontas it tarnished it a little bit for me. And I mean, visually it's stunning. Technically it's amazing because again, they James Cameron refused to make this movie until the technology caught up with his vision. And it was the, it's the first and one of the only movies to ever be made specifically for 3d. Most of the 3d movies we see now are converted to 3d, which means they basically just layer it and it gives the 3d effect. Whereas avatar was filmed specifically for 3d. They use 3d cameras and that's the appeal I'm I'm not a fan of when they they do the gimmick for the sake of the gimmick. Like there's the scene where uh, Giovanna Ribisi's character, the guy from the company, uh, is talking about getting the unobtainium, and he like is putting a golf ball, and they put the golf ball right at the camera, and I I don't like moments like that. It just takes me out of it. I just see it and I go, oh, you're just doing that to show off the 3D. Yeah, I've I don't think I've ever actually watched like a fully immersive 3d movie like out of theater whether it was imax or like even the real 3d i just i don't think i ever got anything out of it at all to warrant warrant that yeah i'm not a fan of the 3d stuff it it doesn't add anything to the the movie for me because i'm there to have fun i'm there to be told a story uh obviously the visuals are a big part of it but it doesn't impact how the story is told to me uh, Monsters vs. Aliens is another one where that was animated for 3D and the, they're hitting the paddle ball at the screen. And I remember seeing that in the theater and all the kids just going, oh! Just seems very gimmicky. Yeah, it, and I mean, for a kid's movie, I can't really knock it because that's half the fun of watching it in 3D. But then again, when you take it home, it just looks like some asshole is playing with a paddle ball. Yeah, unless you decide to invest in a 3D TV during that whole craze. Yeah, no, thank you. I don't need to spend $5,000 on a 3D TV that gets one pair of glasses and spend another $150 to get the other pair. Uh, And then if I have more than one friend over, have to buy more pairs of glasses for that and make sure that they're all compatible. So the next bit of news that we have, I'm going to add something into our list here just because I know this is going to get you talking a little bit more and get you a little more loosened up. Uh, New York City Comic Con is going on right now. Day two is wrapping as we're recording this, so there's going to be some things that come out 
that we're not going to get to until next week. Thursday's New York City Comic Con was pretty much devoted solely to Boom Studios and Power Rangers. Yes. <laughs> and Derek and I are huge Power Ranger nerds. I pretty much only stuck with through Mighty Morphin. I, I kind of got lost in the syndication. That's where I kind of fell off. I am too ashamed to fully admit how long I kept watching the series. There's but no shame I'll on just, this podcast. I'll, I'll just say that it was for a very, very long time. Boom is doing an amazing job with their comics. They've got Mighty Morphin being written by Kyle Higgins, who's one of my favorite comic book writers. They just launched Go Go Power Rangers not too long ago. I forget who's writing that, but that's that's all right. It's it's building up towards something. It's it's not as good in my opinion, but it, I think it also it hasn't really it, kicked off yet. It's different, but I've so far I've enjoyed it quite a bit. It. It's definitely a little bit of a different interpretation, like in terms of the characters versus Kyle Higgins' storyline. But I mean, I definitely, it definitely grabbed my attention. I mean, not just because it was Power Rangers. The way they're interpreting it more in a modern day sense versus how the show was like back in the 90s. Yeah, they they aren't keeping it in the 90s and they're keeping all that 90s nostalgia. They're relying pretty much solely on the characters and the the Power Rangers themselves. And Kyle Higgins has done a, a great job, in my opinion, with this story uh, that he's weaved in so far. Uh, we had the introduction of a, a new ranger, Lord Draken, who was like a combination of the Green Ranger and the White Ranger in an alternate reality. And uh, he, was, he was introduced as the Black Dragon. Tommy and Billy get sucked into an alternate reality, and they have to fight Draken, who, for... Spoiler's sake, I don't think we, we'll reveal who he is, although I think I kind of spoiled it by saying what the Rangers were combined to be. But you don't know. It's an alternate reality. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's Alpha. It, all I know is that he is a kick-ass costume. Yeah, that is an sure. amazing costume. Yeah. And uh, apparently Lord Draken is going to be coming back in issue 25, which they said is supposed to be releasing in March of 2018. So I'm excited for that. Plus, they're coming out with uh, a tribute to Saban's Power Rangers, which is apparently going to be just a big art book. Artists who are going to take their own interpretations of the Power Rangers over the years. The the art that they revealed is for SPD, and that looks or no, it was Turbo. Turbo, uh, yeah, Turbo, yes. and it it just looks awesome. I can't. I want to see that art. If I can't buy the book, I'll at least borrow it from you. Yeah, I definitely will be buying that once it's released. Yeah, it, when they re, like showed that picture, um, when they were posting it on Twitter, I just I immediately was like, "Oh my God, they're gonna make a Turbo comic book." It was a little too? misleading. I, I think was a little it, let down. It could build up to that. We don't know. Uh, I think they're gonna stick largely with the Mighty Morphin for now. Another thing that they revealed is that they're doing a another push for the Legacy line. They're releasing a Legacy Green Ranger helmet. I have chronic Tommy fatigue. I think Tommy is everyone's favorite ranger, and that's largely because he benefits from having some of the coolest designs as a Power Ranger. He came in as the Green Ranger, and he had the shield, and he had the Dragon Dagger that was also a flute, and he had the Dragon Zord, and he just he just came in and he was a badass instantly. And then he came back as the White Ranger, and he had the new shield, and he had the awesome helmet, and he had the Tiger Zord, and again, like he just benefited from getting all this stuff and being lucky enough to get it my favorite ranger on record is billy followed by jason so the original blue ranger and the red ranger and i remember as a kid jason was my favorite as a kid when tommy came back as the white ranger and you could see the voiceover of or you could hear the voiceover of zordon saying hey tommy you're the new leader fuck off jason i was pissed 
Billy was my favorite ranger when it was just the original five. And then they introduced Tommy as the Green Ranger. I still liked Billy, but I had to admit that I thought the Green Ranger was pretty cool. And plus he got the the girl. Yeah. He got the girl. You know, he Kimberly crushed on him hardcore the minute he showed up. He got everything, basically, especially the Dragon Zord. Because, like, as a kid, I was all about the Megazords from the show. Like, I had to have every single Megazord that they came out with as a toy if I could. And it, I loved the Dragon Zord, which unfortunately I never was actually able to get. And then once he became the White Ranger, I mean, I just thought like the design of his costume and then Saba and then you have the White Tiger Zord and then that can combine with the other Thunder Zords. I just, I just loved all of it. Uh, they're doing the White Ranger and the Green Ranger Legacy Helmets, which I know you're all about the White Ranger Helmet. Yes. The Green Ranger yep. Helmet I'm super tempted by just because, again, the Green Ranger is just has such an iconic design. I really want there to be all seven Ranger Helmets, though. I, I don't want it to just focus on the more popular ones. I don't want it to be the Red Ranger, the Green Ranger, and the White Ranger. I want that Blue Ranger Helmet more than anything, but I also would love to see them release the, the Black Ranger Helmet, the Pink Ranger Helmet. Personally, if they were like 50 bucks a piece, which from what I understand, the Legacy Helmets probably would regularly retail at 50 bucks if it weren't for the licensing. So the quality is not necessarily as good as it should be for a $100 product, but for what it is and for the nostalgia and like the sense of completion I would have for having them, I think I would probably put $700 down on them if I had the, the available funds. The Green Ranger helmet looks cool, but one thing that we should know is that the White Ranger helmet, it looks like it's just meant to be like a smaller display. It's not an actual like helmet that you could put on, like whether you're an adult or a child. But going along with the the Legacy line, they're also they also announced that they're releasing Legacy individual Legacy Zords, Dino Zords. And the first one's coming out will be out this March. It'll be the T-Rex and the Sabretooth Tiger Zords. And they're going to be the same size as the Zords that they had released for the new Power Rangers movie. Which is very exciting. So when, if you, once they do release all five of the Zords, you will be able to make a much larger Megazord. Yeah, that Megazord was about two, two and a half feet tall when it was fully combined. I mean, it looked like shit, but it, it definitely looked better. They also revealed, I think the 20, because it's the 25th anniversary, they have a special legacy box that, not necessarily like a packaging, not box, uh, special legacy packaging that they're doing, uh, which I think is like silver with red and um, it just, it, it has the legacy logo on it as well. For those of you familiar with the Power Rangers legacy line, they've released a bunch of stuff, including the Power Morpher, uh, the Green Ranger Morpher. The Red Ranger, plus a bunch of action figures and Zords, which Derek has gone overboard with the uh, black and gold variants on those. Yes. I now have the black and gold Titanus, Dragon Zord, and Megazord. So I can't wait for the tour, black and gold. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> tour the Shuttle Zord. They're also going to be releasing a three-pack of Tommy action figures. So it'll be him as the Green Ranger, as the White Ranger, and then as the Zeo Red Ranger. And then those are going to be a little bit more of like a pearlescent color scheme to them. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming out for Power Rangers, toy collectors. Um, get them while you can. Don't let the resellers steal your money. 
Um, don't let them destroy your wallet and your bank account for a toy. I'm just going to have to sit there and just be jealous of your collection as it continues to build while I can't buy anything. And then another thing to note too is that Tomashi Nations, who made a like full version of the Megazord, um, which is right now still retailing for $300. And it's super detailed. Super, super detailed. I mean, if you... If you were going to get any of the Megazords and you had the money, that would be the one to get. In terms of the detail, it's about as like show accurate as you could possibly get. Well, they are currently working on a Dragon Zord to go with it, um, which most likely will be probably about $300 or so, um, which would also lead one to believe that they're going to make a Tamashi Nations uh, Titanus as well. Um, which they did announce a mini version of the Titanus um, that will be motorized. It won't be able to transform with any of the other Megazords, but it will be motorized so it'll do um, like the show-accurate details of it kind of like rolling into action. Yeah, most of them are really nice quality, so you can't really complain about it. Uh, I mean, you can complain about the price tag, but I remember the original megazord toy coming out and it was a hundred dollars for the full pack and my dad about had a hissy fit uh but because he's my dad and he loves me he bought it for me uh, begrudgingly and all yeah i wish i still had my original megazord but i sadly i don't uh but we've been talking power rangers enough let's move on to other giant robots fighting giant monsters and that is the pacific rim trailer more specifically pacific rim uprising trailer you're very big on the kaiju and giant mechs so i'll let you kind of give us your first impressions pretty much my forte um yeah i thought it was very interesting because i mean first we have john boyega john boyager boyager excuse me (laughs) for this Um, for this conversation he's going to be john boyager i'll try my best it's definitely interesting seeing him in this movie and in a different role compared to just seeing him as Finn. I mean, the biggest questions I had, like what, like looking back after watching the trailer, is one, that where are the monsters coming from now? If they had sealed the hole before, if they detonated the nuclear bomb on the other dimension, like where are they coming from now? Why are they back? Like how much time has passed since the end of the first. Uh, and then the other question I had was that it, it looks apparent to me that uh, John is piloting the Jaeger that was the main character's Jaeger from the original Gypsy Pacific Danger, Rim. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, why does he have that? What happened to the original pilot? Well, I think it's, it's fairly implied that some time has passed because I believe it's been confirmed that Jumbo Jaeger's character is uh, the son of Idris Elba's character from the first movie. So obviously to be able to pilot a Jaeger, some time has had to have passed because Idris Elba's character passed away. If you don't remember, Idris Elba's character is the guy that says, we're canceling the apocalypse. Um, I think we get a glimpse of Mako as well. I think she was the woman in the white suit. Uh, but again, it's just a quick miss, blink and you'll miss a glimpse of her. We obviously don't know what she's going to have to save for this movie. I know a lot of people are kind of upset that they're not focusing on Mako and that they're not bringing back the other guy that piloted Gypsy Danger. I honestly can't remember his name. Yeah, I, it, I obviously, it wasn't important to the story. The, the story was basically Charlie Day figuring, figuring out uh, what the kaiju are trying to do and then the giant robots fighting the kaiju. But was it, was it Mako, though? Because to me, it looked like a different actress. I'm 99% sure that it's Mako. Uh, it could be a different actress. They could have 
gotten someone older. I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure she's in the cast list, so I assume it's Mako. They could have just given her old lady makeup, but I, I would be willing to bet that it is actually Mako. It's a fun trailer. It's a super fun trailer. You get a lot of Jaeger action. The The coolest part to me is the upgrades to the cockpit where you have like this virtual reality uh, simulation inside the cockpit. So the, the Jaeger pilots actually have a sense of space with their Jaeger, which makes sense to me. Right, yeah, that's you, there's essential. A, yeah, there's a quick, there's a cool shot of uh, Jumbo Jaeger missing, like dodging the missile mm-hmm. uh, going by his shoulder. And there, the, you see the like holographic lights come out when they you shove like their the arms and they get, yeah, whatever. they get the heat blades. Mm-hmm. The minute I saw it, I was like, that makes sense. Like, right. yeah, that makes sense. You know, why didn't they do that before? Before, obviously, uh, they have the rift where they, they merge together, but they don't really have anything. It's not like there's a third mentality of the Jaeger that's mixed in there that where they can get that spatial awareness. That sort of makes sense. The only other thing that I think is kind of missing from that scenario is like maybe buildings around them, which maybe they, they actually have that. Maybe they're saving that for the movie, and maybe they're just not fully done with that in post-production. But that, that would make sense to me as well as not only having that sort of stuff built into the cockpit, but, you know, having stuff come out of the floor to kind of simulate what's around you as well. Because obviously you want to make sure that there aren't any civilians you're going to step on. You want to make sure that you're not going to crush a building. So that that sort of thing was really cool. And then it just raised more questions for me. Right. I mean, that would make this is a very illogical universe. Yeah. It's just about giant robots fighting giant monsters. Exactly. The other thing I did notice, too, is that they that John Boyager's character was fighting another Jaeger, but they didn't really it just showed him like punching and fighting like in their own Jaegers. Like, what is that about? Like, why are other Jaegers fighting each other when there's all these kaiju who apparently came back and are destroying everything again? A very uneducated guess is that maybe the Jaegers have become um, almost like a gladiator sport. So instead of fighting kaiju, they repurposed the the Jaegers for Jaeger v. Jaeger combat. And they they just kind of do it for sport that's the only thing i can think of i mean unless I, guess, I guess that would make sense if some time has passed and they feel like the threat is is gone that they don't need to have them like war ready necessarily um how that would come about um and then the last part from the trailer is seeing what it looks like is the other kaiju forming into one super kaiju type big monster and then obviously you see all the other jaegers get ready to go in for the fight and it would for me would lead me to assume that the other jaegers are also going to somehow combine or form into some sort of like transformer megazord type ordeal the even bigger monster that appears yeah as soon as i watched the trailer at the end seeing seeing the monster form and then like standing before it like the only logical explanation as to like what would happen after that i mean to me but i mean i i've been a fan of transformers power rangers gundam so obviously an even bigger batter robot to fight the enemy is the only choice you have to save the day yeah, I'm excited. I it's it comes out March 2018, and I I will be there if not opening night, opening weekend. Because again, I love those kind of movies where you can just you can turn off your brain and just enjoy the pretty pictures. Uh, it's it's and probably not, yeah, and well, I'm not Mike. I'm not a Michael Bay fan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there will be explosions, but I you know, giant robots fighting giant monsters and 
all the cool stuff that they they pull out. This one's not being directed by Guillermo del Toro, who directed the first one. It, he produced it, and I think it looks like it's in good hands. John Boy Yeager, uh, he looks like he's having a lot of fun, and he looks. This looks like it could be his action movie making. Like he's obviously Finn, but he's kind of more of a supporting character as far as we've seen right now. Um, he's also he's also got some comedy chops where he's talking back and forth with BB-8 and The Force Awakens. That's great. I, that's awesome. The the thumbs up with yeah, the, the torchlight and everything. Yeah, that's that's amazing. But this one, he looks like he's having a lot of fun, and he might get some more action roles because of what's going on in this movie. And I'm excited to to see it and see where it takes John Boyega. Yeah, it is definitely. I don't know. I guess refreshing seeing him do something else and like really just be like committed and into it definitely and he he had a, a brief interview after the pacific rim uprising panel with coming soon.net where they asked him about jj abrams and uh how he feels about abrams taking over episode nine so i'm going to read you the quote here really quick i apologize again if i butcher this i i keep giving myself stuff to read and i every time i just get too nervous and i get over get all caught up in my own tongue when asked about episode nine and jj abrams directing john boyega said I think what's fantastic is it feels like it's all coming back full circle. I don't know nothing. I hate that phrase. I don't know nothing about the script, the story. I don't know where Finn's going. I don't know where Ray's going, but I definitely feel like the war. this is the war to end all wars. I'm interested to know how JJ will handle the war. I'm asking so many questions and I haven't had a chance to kind of sit down and write JJ a message just to say congratulations and I'm stoked. My fixation now is on is that he needs to get some sleep and gear up because we're doing another one of these movies, mate. But I think he's going to do a great job as always. He's JJ. And I mean, it's hard to argue as far as that goes. Cause again, I, the force awakens, despite its flaws is a fun and better than average star Wars movie. And I know you have a very differing opinion on that. You love it. Uh, I think you have a little bit of a Daisy Ridley bias. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, there's always going to be Wrath Tars, which I think that scene is just absolutely pointless. But that's a different story for a different day, primarily when we talk about Episode 8 and we do comparisons and contrastings. Uh, we're going to move on to our primary subjects here, which is primers for Voltron Season 4 and Star Wars Rebels Season 4. I know way more about Star Wars Rebels, so we're going to start with Voltron. Uh, season 3 ended with Emperor Zarkon uh, being awoken by his... By the way, full spoilers. Got to get that out of the way. I almost, yeah. I almost got yep. into this, a little too deep into this. Um, full spoilers for both Star Wars Rebels and Voltron. If you don't want to be spoiled and you haven't seen Season 3 of either series, thanks for listening so far. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> season 3 of Voltron ended with Zarkon being woken up by the witch Hagar. Hagar? I forget exactly how you pronounce her name. But it was revealed... Hagar. <laughs> hey there <laughs> uh it was revealed that she was actually his wife before becoming this witch and uh she is an altaian which brings a lot of ramifications into the universe because we believe Alora and Koran are the last altaians like once they introduce the character lotor and you see that he just looks different that he doesn't appear to be full golra and if he's the son of Zarkon, you would think he would be full Golara, but he's not. And so when you also find out in, what is it, season two or season three, that Allura notices that the witch is or was it's the, Altaian. It's the finale to season two. 
Yeah, and so then you can, I mean, you can kind of pe- like piece things together thinking that, well, the witches always has been right there by Zarkon's side. Oh, well, she was Altaian or is Altaian or whatever form she's in now. And then you see, oh, well, Prince Lotar. Oh, well, he looks like he's half Altaian and half Golra. Oh, well, how did that come about? So obviously, I mean, it just like everything, like all the puzzle, like, pieces fit together once you find that fact out you you raise this point to me that it's it's very interesting that lotor being uh to use a an impolite term i guess uh, a half-breed of a galra and an altaian surrounds himself not only by other half-breeds but they're all women which is very interesting because it it shows his different way of thinking where every high-ranking officer we've seen in the galra empire so far has been a man Yep, and it and Galra and Galra, yes, uh, full-blooded Galra, as far as we're aware. And there, there's a bunch of different things that are revealed through season three, which is a shorter season. Uh, which I hope season four is longer, but at this point, I, I doubt it actually is. Um, one, we have Keith taking over the Black Lion, and Lance which, takes over the Red Lion, which, which makes I it completely predicted because that's did. exactly how it is in the original animated series is that Alora, the princess had the blue lion keith was the leader of the team so he had the black lion and then lance had the red lion mm-hmm. and it i love the parallels that they create though that lance passes up doesn't necessarily pass up but he he realizes he's not destined to pilot the black lion just like Alora's father realizes that he's not fit to lead, not necessarily fit to lead, but he is not as good of a leader as Zarkon was, which, not necessarily a spoiler if you've seen season two, Zarkon was the original Black Lion pilot, uh, and Alora's father was the Red Lion pilot. So the Red Lion is the literally the right-hand man, and yep. uh, Lance realizes that it's not his destiny to take over the role as leader, but ne- but to maybe become the lieutenant. And because he passes that up, um, the Red Lion takes him on as his um, paladin, which is a great moment where the Blue Lion just completely locks him out, and he's yeah. he's trying to he's like, "What did I do, Blue? What yeah. did I do to make you upset?" Yeah. And it's it's nothing that actually made the Blue Lion upset. It's the fact that he became worthy to pilot the Red Lion, which is what he wanted to be to from the very beginning anyway. Yeah, yeah. and it, I thought it was a great parallel, and I thought it was a really nice moment. Yeah, it it's definitely cool that they like the way they went about changing like the characters lions and them each going to their own um like coming into them so to speak Mm -hmm. it it was good and i I love the fact that both pidge and hunk were like we don't want the black lion yeah and they and everyone else thank you and everyone else was just like you have to do it you have to at least try and hunk literally just sits in and like pokes something he's like nope i'm out (laughs) and then keith is the the reluctant leader now because yeah. he he didn't want it because he wanted to try and find shiro but the black lion once shiro was gone immediately went to keith clearly and uh, i think the only thing that i didn't like about the new roster of uh the paladins of voltron is i don't like that they don't match their colors anymore yeah it, <laughs> it, does, it bothers my ocd it, it does bother me yeah i'm it, st- it still bothers me, like, Allura, like, why don't, just wear something blue. Yeah, or, like, you know, something turquoise, yeah, you know, like, maybe a lighter blue. Like, it's fine if you like pink, if you prefer your suit to be pink, that that's great. Yep, you do you, except for when you're in a blue lion. Just wear something blue. Like, yeah, everyone else is color matching. Just, just, just... 
Well, not anymore. I mean, Lance is now in his blue armor in the red lion, oh. and then Keith is in his red armor in the black lion. Which I mean, the red the red armor is fine because black matches everything, and plus the the black lion has some red in him. I mean, they are in a flying spaceship palace, so you would think they'd be able to figure out how to change their suit colors. Like, you, can't they just like touch a button on their suit or something? You would think so. Boom! There you go. Yeah, it, it, that that bothers my OCD, but I I get it. It 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 shows where they've been and how they got there. I I have no say in this. Maybe she just really likes pink, but I felt like pink was a very gender biased color to choose. Uh, you know, oh she's a girl, she likes pink, and I I just I don't know. That kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not saying that she maybe she didn't. She just didn't. Maybe she just wanted pink. That's fine. Yeah, it the the fact that they gave her pink just kind of bothered me. Not only just because it didn't match her her lion but because again it is just a really odd color choice to me which now it makes me wonder like was the princess allura character originally in a pink suit from the first voltron show uh that's a good question that i can't answer i never got into voltron until it came out on netflix um with this new legendary defender series and really the only reason i even bothered watching it was because i found out that the 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 animation studio behind avatar the last airbender and legend of korra was behind this and then i got hooked after the first episode which is like an hour and a half long if i remember correctly or maybe it's just an hour i don't remember but it's a fantastic show um one of my favorite voice actors josh keaton voices shiro who uh, josh keaton was also Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the Spectacular Spider-Man show. Chiro has some some new layers added to him. Um, he is apparently part of a secret Galra project called Project Curon. Which we don't know what that we is. We know absolutely still. nothing about. And there's an episode that shows Keith breaking out of a Galra med bay where we don't know if he was hallucinating uh, a previous engagement there. Or, yep, she was pink. Uh, we don't know if he was hallucinating a, a previous operation he was having in the med bay, or if maybe they had a, a Keith clone. We don't know what's going on with this project here on whatsoever. I feel like, though, they, I mean, from the get-go, I mean, it, it was almost obvious that he didn't escape. He was let go. They let him leave, yes. And that they knew that he thus far was the only one to actually succeed in whatever stage of that plan was like all the other clones or what have you had failed up until that point yeah and or you know test subjects even we don't even know if they were clones like maybe they all maybe shiro is the only one but they've operated on other people we don't know what's going on hopefully that's that's something we'll get into a little bit later after we're discussing this but um shiro has a lot of intrigue going on for him right now it's one of the big storylines that's keeping me going on this show not that it really needs to try too hard to keep me going is he going to be the golra trojan horse that's gonna break apart the team this season exactly um plus we have the the intrigue of zarkon's awake now so is lotor's very short seven episode reign as ruler of the galra empire going to develop into a civil war because we know lotor was the the main antagonist in the original 80s show right and then what what is his relationship with his father we don't really know because uh lotor had been sent away it seemed like we don't know if he was exiled or they just kind of let him go do whatever he wanted to do in his little quadrant of the galaxy and and back to his team too like it seemed very obvious that he he was making like a set numbered 
team. And then you watch the episodes where they're collecting like the special like meteorite. The quintessence, yeah. Yeah, that Volt, the original Voltron had been made of um, and what they're going to do with it. You, you see that they make like that special like ship or what have you um, that they do pilot briefly in a fight against the lions, um, but nothing really more comes of it once they're once they're gone. But to me, my speculation is that he's obviously building his own version of a Voltron or whatever he's gonna end up calling it. And all of his like team are gonna be their own like paladins, so to speak. Yeah, and that that's fairly obvious. I think they even mentioned that they're they're trying to collect this stuff so that they can build their own Voltron. Uh, but I think you're right in the fact that all of his lieutenants are going to be the paladins of his dark Voltron or whatever you want to call it. But we'll see if he can actually succeed. I think we'll, we will see this dark Voltron, but I don't know if we'll, we will actually see it in action or at least at full capacity. We'll, we'll see. Cause if you watch the trailer for season four, you actually see one short clip that looks like um, a foot from said dark voltron uh stepping down in front of i think either the team or one of the lions um i can't recall but i mean if you look at the at the the way the foot is designed and then at the design of the ship that you see from season three that they were able to manufacture you'll notice similarities between the two i did not catch that so i will have to go back and watch that but um very very interesting stuff very intriguing i'm excited this releases on october 13th which is a friday uh, which i believe all of the voltron series have released or seasons have released on a friday i have that sunday off and between uh my family obligations and football i'm gonna try and find time to watch however many episodes i can before uh, i have to go to bed and then i have that following monday off of work and i'm probably just gonna binge as much as i can when my kids asleep once i have the time be binging whatever episodes are released however many there are we'll see one of the things that we i want to do is kind of do season predictions versus expectations so uh for example i i personally don't want shiro to be a clone i i hope he is still just kind of the one and only shiro i don't want him to to have this extra layer of uh of a clone situation where is he the real Shiro? Is is this the Shiro we've known? I really hope that whatever project Kiron is, is it's either a sleeper agent sort of thing that he's the only human that actually was able to take whatever implants and suggestions that they gave. And they're eventually going to try and like sabotage Voltron from the inside out. Um, if it ends up being a clone thing, I wouldn't be surprised, but again, I would be a little disappointed. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see how that would be disappointing. Part of me, like my gut feeling is that he is some sort of clone. To me, that is not the Shiro. Like something else happened to him. Because all we know when season, season what, two had ended, that Shiro went missing is that he just was gone like we we didn't see they didn't allude to him being taken like it was almost as if like the either the black lion absorbed him or something else happened during this fight with sarkhan that he disappeared and i so i i don't know maybe he was taken by the galera maybe he is still at some sort of base um but something tells me that he moved on to something something else and that the shiro that we're seeing is just a mere 
copy. See, my my main thinking is if he's a clone or a copy, why is his hair so long and why did he have facial hair? That sort of allusion to a passage of time only makes sense in my storytelling world if he is the actual Shiro. And see, for me, the logical explanation would be that just as a clone, they didn't bother until he was released. I mean, why would they if they're just growing him in some sort of test tube? That, again, that's just my hope. I, I think it will be revealed that he's some kind of clone, just because, again, there, there is a lot of evidence pointing that way, but it could also be a red herring. Person, I like your theory that maybe the original Shiro like ascended to a different plane, or maybe he was thrown into an alternate reality. The idea of him maybe being absorbed into the Black Lion makes a lot of sense as to why the Black Lion immediately latched onto Keith as the new paladin. So it it's... Is- we don't really understand like what the quintessence is like what voltron is made of like they don't like even though they made voltron they still don't even fully understand what he was even capable of when they made him or like what he's made of yeah and they they reveal that in the episode where they talk about how voltron was made and they reveal how zarkon was chosen to be the the black lion paladin where Alora's father mentions that uh, he doesn't he doesn't fully understand he he has designed these lines but all of a sudden like these lines have taken on a personality they just kind of are learning on the go just like the paladins that we're following now are and and part of me still thinks that like whatever happened to Shiro is similar to like what ended up happening to Zarkon and his wife like being absorbed by or affected by the quintessence only they were affected by a dark quintessence or what have you um, that made them into the contorted creatures that they are so it makes me like my speculation is that like maybe more of like the light side of things happen to shiro like something else is going on there that they're hopefully going to explain and that's actually a, a very good theory in my opinion I, I like that a lot actually even if shiro ends up being a clone or some kind of just test subject of the original uh, it makes a lot of sense. The other thing that's still kind of unanswered is Pidge's family. We It was a very small subplot in season three where she's still trying to figure out where her, her family is. I think they mentioned it once in season three, and then they just kind of went back into, well, we got to fight Lotor. And so they just right. kind of put it back on the back burner. Because she's looking for her brother. She's looking for her brother, and I think her dad's still as well. Really? I think so. I thought I thought like something happened to their dad and then she was specifically looking for her brother because she knew that he had survived. Yeah, I, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. I I wish I had the time to go back and watch all of the, the three. Right. Uh, but I, I just don't really have the time, especially the first episode, which is like a movie unto itself. I, I wish I could remember, but off the top of my head, I can't. I, I want to say her dad's alive, though. I think she has evidence about her brother, but yeah, I, I can't say definitively one way or the other yeah uh i think it'll be interesting to see if there will be a civil war between lotor and zarkon what he's gonna what the son will do to the father because i think if they're building towards at least homaging and mirroring to an extent the original 80s show eventually lotor has to take over the galra empire and maybe we'll see some kind of battle between lotor and zarkon and lotor will take over as the new emperor yeah, we'll we'll see cuz I feel like there's going to be three bigger forces at play and we'll have Zarkon and his wife 
and then whatever sort of dark quintessence is controlling or had changed them or what have you then you have Lotor and his own team and building their own Voltron and then commanding whatever fleet of the Golra they have and then you have the coalition with the actual Voltron team trying to fight against these other two forces one of which they don't even know is coming back yeah so it'll, it'll be a fun season even if it's a short season uh season three blended very well everything fit and everything was very quick and to the point personally i'd like some more filler episodes but i i understand that uh they're kind of on a push to get these things out so they kind of just have to tell their story instead of telling some side things to kind of build more character characterization um but yeah voltron season four comes out friday october 13th on netflix Make sure your subscription's up to date, and if you haven't watched it, please do. It's it's a lot of fun, even if you're not a fan of the 1980s Voltron. I, like I said, I didn't grow up on Voltron at all, and this the show is a lot of fun. Some really great characters. Moving on to Star Wars Rebels Season 4. Yes. This can't get here soon enough. It debuts Monday, October 16th at midnight Eastern Time, so it technically debuts for us in the Central Time Zone on the 15th at 11 p.m., I don't know why they're doing this weird debuting scheme or this weird scheduling thing where uh, they're going to play it at midnight Eastern, 3 o'clock Eastern in the morning. I think they're showing it again at 7 a.m. And then they're showing it again at 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. all Eastern time. And it's, it's just weird. And, and it, especially for one day, like they're just overloading each episode in one day. Um, I mean, I get that they want to have as many viewing possibilities as possible the the show is clearly kind of getting the shaft where disney they're either not getting the ratings that they want or they're not getting a lot of the the demographic that they want so they're just kind of throwing it out there so people can dvr it and watch it whenever they want which is a travesty it's it's business that's what happened to spectacular spider-man and young justice it wasn't getting the neither show was getting the the demographic or the the retail sales of their products that they wanted so they they just kind of canceled them uh, I think Rebels was always supposed to be a four-season story, so it, it makes sense that they're ending on this note, but the the big questions, uh, what happens to the crew of the Ghost? We know that at least Harris, Hera and Chopper survive, and the Ghost, because they show up in uh, Star Wars, or Rogue One, a Star Wars story, one way or another. And if you actually look it up, it, it surprised me at how many scenes, if you count, it, the ghost actually appears in the movie. Um, like, it, you really have to be paying attention because you'll, like, as, say, when the uh, Mont Calamari, like, capital ship appears right over, what, I, I don't even remember what the planet was called. Scarif? Scarif. Yes, when the Mon Moth... Uh, I remembered a Star Wars thing. Yes, <laughs> when the Mon, uh, Mon Calamari uh, ship appeared over Scarif and all their fighters launched the ghost is right am, right amongst them like yeah it's in the lower the left hand part of the screen flying all around yeah it's it's in a number of scenes you should if you have the time look it up on youtube um, or just watch the movie again or just watch the movie again the last, if you can the last third of the movie is pretty fantastic it, it it's definitely nice to see that they're starting to include like other like medias of star wars like including like the shows like the animated shows they're including characters in the actual movies, um, which is definitely nice to see because there has never been that sort of like cohesion before. It adds an extra franchise. layer to to the extended the new extended universe. 
Yep. And it, again, when when they mentioned you know uh, Captain Sindula or General Sindula, whatever her her rank was in Rogue One uh, over the intercom, I immediately leaned over to my wife and I was just like, "They're talking about Hera," <laughs> and I was just so excited. Uh, Hera is my favorite character on the show, and then I you can if you watch the trailers for Rogue One, you can see the ghost in the trailers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but pretty much everyone thought it was just going to be that one shot, and then again when you're you're in the space battle over Scarif. Yeah, uh, you it see happens, it a, a few times. Yeah, it, it happens so quickly. Like I, I, I'm, I saw it a couple times. I think I only, yeah, I only saw it just twice watching through the movie. But it's just in the battle scenes. Uh, you'll see her flying around in the ghost, taking down Tie Fighters and everything. And it's just very fast paced. And it's like you said, it, it just adds an extra layer of cohesion to the new universe and the new continuity. And I appreciate that. And I, I, I love the fact that even though it's a mild spoiler um, that Hera at least survives all of this uh, through Re- uh, Rebels season four, which kind of reduces the danger that she's going to be in with um, the bounty hunter Rook. Rook? I've, Rook? I'm going to call him Rook. Ruck. Ruck. Ruck? Okay. We'll say Ruck. Ruck? Okay. Yeah, it, it kind of reduces a little bit of the tension. You know, will Hera survive this encounter with Ruck? We kind of already know this. Um, Same thing with Chopper. We know Chopper's going to survive regardless of whatever peril he puts himself in. So the big questions are what happens with Sabine, what happens with, obviously, Kanan and Ezra, what happens with Zeb. So there's definitely still some unanswered questions. The at least for me, the main one is Hera's okay. So I, I I can almost live with just about any outcome that we have. There's one more though that I mean I feel gets missed is that we still don't know what happened to Ahsoka. I mean, she still is technically MIA. That's very true. And Ahsoka is probably one of the main reasons I love. I got invested so much in Rebels was because I, I really enjoyed her character towards the end of Clone Wars. Uh, when she first showed up in the movie and the first season, I was very annoyed by her. I was just like, oh my God, Anakin's the worst because he calls her Snips for some reason. And she calls Anakin Sky Guy and it's just awful. And then she just continued to mature and grow as a person and as a character. And I was like, I, I like her now. All of a sudden, she's becoming more likable. And I think that was the intention, mm-hmm. was they wanted people to grow with her. Right. And I think part of the attraction for me towards her character is like seeing that she she doesn't define herself as just like the light side with the Jedi Order or as just amongst the Sith or like the dark side users. She... Like she has forged her own path, like seeing like both the both the rights and wrongs of like both the Jedi Order when she had left, and even with the Alliance itself. Yeah, and she she's a very interesting character, regardless of uh, her allegiance with the Force. Obviously, she has a history with Darth Vader, which is an amazing moment in season two when is it's so amazing. It's such a gorgeous episode. Um, when when Ahsoka takes on Vader and she has the conversation with Anakin, she says, I'm not going to leave you again. Vader says to her that he killed Anakin. Then she says, then I will avenge him. And Vader comes back at her again saying, revenge is not the way of the Jedi. And she just gets this stone cold look on her face. And the I forget the voice actress's name, but she just delivers this line so powerfully where she just goes, I am no Jedi. I get chills every time. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. <laughs> that moment just seals like how amazing of a character Ahsoka is and could can be. 
And I haven't read the Ahsoka novel yet. Which is a good read, by the way. I, I have it. I just need to read it. It kind of ties in uh, some of the Darth Maul stuff. Uh, I guess they have an encounter somewhere between the Clone War, the end of the Clone Wars and the start of Rebels. Again, we, we don't know exactly what happened to Ahsoka because we see her walking back into the, the Sith Temple. Or could even have been like some sort of exit, too. We don't know. Well, she's walking into the darkness, so I feel like that's an allusion to her like diving into the dark side of the Force. The, the question is, is she actually alive, or is that the Force and her spirit walking into it? Um, I think she's alive. I don't think you can just kill her off screen like that. I just, I mean, with how powerful of a character she is, especially within like the Rebels, but aside from the main characters, I would be thoroughly disappointed if she doesn't make an appearance in this last season. I, I hope she does make an appearance. That's going to be one of my predictions. Is the, Predictions versus hope is I do ex, I do hope that she shows up. My expectation is maybe not since they didn't answer it in season three. It's kind of a long play for her to show up at the end of the series. Um, but I think it, it could be a big push towards uh, resolving Kanan and Ezra's storyline where maybe she shows up and she teaches them a different path to take or gives them a different option to take instead of, you know, we're Jedi and we need to be in this fight, which is something Kanan doesn't want to do. We, we've kind of seen that uh, at the beginning of season two, once they do become part of the larger cell of the rebellion, he's like, I liked it better when we were just doing our own thing and we were helping the little guy. This is a whole different animal that we're tackling here. And I don't think we need to be a part of this. And Hera is basically just kind of like, shut up. No, we're doing this. But at the same time, in this latest trailer for season four, it's Kanan himself who says that like we became Jedi so we could be right here, right now, doing what we're doing. Which I think is more of an allusion to um, whatever's going to happen with Lothal. Because when they, they show that it, they're back on Lothal... So maybe it, it's just talking about Ezra being able to help the people of Lothal, or maybe uh, it, it could be something else. Uh, but that's that's a that's a fair and valid point. That's just me rambling and going off on a <laughs> uh, on a theory that just kind of popped into my head. Personally, I Kanan is an amazing character. I don't think the show works without him. I don't think the show works without Freddie Prince Jr. voicing him. Ezra is kind of a really off-putting character to me at times because he he seems like he never learns he he wants kanan to trust him but kanan knows that you're going to do something stupid kid it is an interesting thing to bring up because the and one of the quotes too from uh the second trailer uh is that kanan says ezra it's not a matter of whether or not we fight ezra then comes in and finishes saying that it's how we choose to fight that matters i know kanan and then maybe we're choosing the wrong way. Which you and I have discussed this. I think that's a red herring. I think a lot of people are thinking that's Ezra leaning back towards the dark side, which is uh, obviously something they tackled in multiple episodes in season three. I think this is going to be something either they're doing with uh, the war for Mandalore or they're doing um, with the war for Lothal. That's obviously two things that they're tackling in this season. I think they're going to be like, put into a corner and that maybe that will be Ezra's like growing moment where he shows Kanan like, Hey, I get it now. People are thinking like he he's thinking like, Oh, we need to implement some dark side methods. I think he's thinking outside the box or at least That's outside, exactly what I was outside Ezra's say. box. Yeah. 
and everyone's just going to be like, holy shit, kid, you came up with that? Yep, I, I definitely feel it's going to have something to do with Lethal, because I feel like they're going to leave like what occurs with Mandalore to Sabine in her own like story arc throughout the season. Because, um, I mean, she has already like come into her own um, in terms of like getting the Darksaber and confronting her family I and mean, everything that occurs uh, from season three. But yeah, I definitely feel that that quote is like Ezra saying, like, I, we need to find another way because what we have been doing isn't going to solve this problem. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's, it's going to be a very singular quote when it actually is said. Because, again, I don't think it's going to be talking about a bigger picture. I think they're going to be talking about whatever moment they're in. Which is definitely possible to get people hooked into the trailer to make them like, speculate like what I'm doing right now. Yeah, and, and th- that's what trailers are meant to do, is to make us speculate and to get excited about what, what's going to happen. Why is, why is Ezra talking to Kanan about using dark side methods? That's all conjecture. That's all yeah. us speculating. See, I don't understand where, that, where anyone could even bring that up like why they would even think oh well he's going back to the dark side when he's already had that whole full circle effect of being lured in using dark side powers and then realizing like coming back thinking like what why did i do that like he already had that whole arc i don't understand why or where they could get from that quote saying oh he's gonna do something from the dark side no i I feel like the way he's saying that is that everyone's so busy like hera with the alliance and um, Sabine with Mandalore, he feels he needs to find something else. Like, Lothal is his home. Like, he needs to figure something else out that is going to help him, like, take his home back from the Empire. Again, this is just me spitballing and completely speculating. I think what would be a really powerful moment with that line and that scene would be if Ezra concedes Lothal to the Empire he realizes that them fighting this war for Lothal is doing more harm than good, and they need to pull out. Well, I think that would be interesting, but the, the other thing you have to bring up, too, from the trailer is that Lothal is where they're manufacturing like these new TIE fighters, to my knowledge, right? These new TIE fighters that Thrawn had helped design, where they have like the shields. Oh, they, and yeah, they, and they actually have shields, and um, they're, they're much like more those, durable to my knowledge, were like the secret thing that was being manufactured on Lothal. And that is Thrawn's like pet project like that he had brought to Grand Moff Tarkin. And the thing that they mention is that Tarkin says that director Krennic, who, if you know, is another Rogue One tie-in, Rogue One tie-in, um, who helped bring about the Death Star. Like Tarkin says that Krennic is definitely invested in his own project, touting its significance, and that if Krennic wins out, then Thrawn's pet project of all of these TIE fighters that they're just starting to manufacture will be the end of it because they're going to go all in on Krennic's idea. And so like it, it gives Thrawn an incentive. Okay, well, I don't want Krennic to shove me out cuz I want to be I want to like suck up to Grand Moff Tarkin. I want that position. And if Ezra's fighting for Thal, then I can definitely see like there's going to be a point of contention where um, either Thrawn's going to be pushed out and they're going to destroy the facility and it's going to all be a happy ending and Lothal will be free or something's going to happen with that facility they're manufacturing it it's Thrawn's pet project and he knows that Ezra is going to be the little bug that's going to crawl in and just ruin it all for him 
So I, I definitely feel that there, that's going to be a significant uh, storyline throughout the season, in addition to like Sabine and Mandalore and Hera with the bounty hunter coming after her, um, who also, we should note, is uh, Thrawn's right-hand man, too, his own personal bodyguard. He is voiced by Warwick Davis, who has a hand in just about every Star Wars movie uh, ever since Return of the Jedi. So just a fun little Easter egg there. Obviously, they heavily modulate and alter his voice, but he's the, he's the one delivering the lines for Ruck. And another uh, little quip, too, that I had read about his character is that uh, if you watch from season three, when Thrawn is using his uh, battle droids, when he's sparring with them in his own personal like office or what have you the code that he uses uh to deactivate the droids is rook's name like he says rook to deactivate the droids interesting sparring with them fun little foreshadowing from the dave filoni and his team there i'll have to go back and watch that again because i I didn't catch that the first time i also don't know much about the old legends universe so um the character of rook is completely new to me yeah it's it's definitely interesting because i it it surprised me looking up that he's listed as a nogri the design is way different because in the other movie that or excuse me the other game that i played it was uh star wars jedi knight 2 the nogri were these tall very like muscular almost like neanderthalish looking creatures that were blue and then had like some sort of like skull like crest so to speak um it was very um very intimidating looking and then i look and you see like rook is this more like spindly he's more lanky and lanky and very lithe what have you agile type character who uses like this he uses something similar to what zeb uses i forget what it's called like a magna staff i want to say because it's very similar to the staves that the magnet guards use that were general grievous's personal guard but yeah it's definitely interesting that they're changing their interpretation of what nogri looks like um because like the character like the nogri i believe were first introduced from the original series involving like the introduction of Grand Admiral Thrawn as a character um, that were the books by Timothy Zahn of like The Last Command and what have you. Definitely interesting. We'll have to see what happens because obviously we know Hera survives, but like what sort of troubles is he going to cause for them? Yeah, and that that raises a a good question because I mean we've talked about Hera, we've talked about Kanan and Ezra. There's so many. We have a, a huge cast of characters that we've come to to know and care about. Uh, we haven't even talked about what's actually going to happen to Sabine. In the newest trailer, we saw that uh, Thrawn has some kind of weapon that like disintegrates people. It, the first thing it reminded me of was the uh, sequence when um, uh, from War of the Worlds, uh, specifically like the uh, one with Tom Cruise, where you see like the ships rise up and they just start like poofing everyone. It just bothers me, I guess, just because it's very intimidating, like seeing like the Mandalores who are like a race known for their expertise in battle and just seeing them like being mercilessly slaughtered by such a device. Yeah, and so it, 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 it raises an eyebrow because you're, you gotta wonder if the the rebellion as far as this side of the rebellion story goes you know their trump card is the fact that they have these mandalorians who are willing to fight on their side because sabine has the dark saber 
And all of a sudden, these Mandalorians are considered moot because Thrawn has this weapon that will disintegrate people. Like you said, it raises his level of intimidation because in season three, it was basically Thrawn learning how to learning how the the crew of the Ghost and the Rebellion thinks, and now it's Thrawn is acting. So let's see what happens when Thrawn actually is pushed into action instead of mostly reacting and learning. Because he's, he's definitely very like a methodical and de- decisive leader and commander. I, I have a feeling that because he's, he's feeling pressure. He's feeling pressure because he had them almost just within grasp at the end of season three and then had that taken away from him. And I think I think that's going to definitely cause him to slip up, even in his own standards, just a little bit. Because he's he's done. The, for him, I feel like the gloves are off now. They they've screwed him over just so many times now. Yeah, and it, it's going to be interesting. I'm gonna uh, we're going a little long at this point, so I'm gonna kind of rush into uh, a predictions sort of thing. But I'm gonna. You're going to answer these questions, and the question for each one is: Uh-oh. lives or dies. And we've already we already know Hera survives, so let's go with through the rest of the uh, the Ghost Crew. And I'm gonna I know I just said the Ghost Crew, but we're gonna start with Thrawn. Thrawn lives or dies? I feel like he dies, and that's how I would like it too, because he's just an ass. <laughs> I think he dies as well. Um, it, it offers a satisfying conclusion to what and- would be the longest running antagonist of the the show because season one was the uh, grand inquisitor season two was the the two new inquisitors plus darth vader uh, and then season three was thrawn so season four it would make sense that thrawn is the the main antagonist for this season as well and it would make it would make storytelling sense especially if they want to end on a happy note which there's no guarantees that it's going to end on a happy note that thrawn will either end up being uh, retired in disgrace or he will end up dying but i mean they also you can't forget the fact that uh bendu said that he he saw thron's death with all of those surrounding him that's right i forgot about that the uh the bendu i love the yep. bendu he's so cool so yeah thron we're, we're both in consensus there thron's pretty much dead jerk uh we know chopper survives so let's go with zeb zeb lives or dies oh my i feel like he is going to die i don't want him to but i just have that ugly gut feeling that he's not going to survive that he's gonna have like some sort of heroic i'm gonna save everyone and sacrifice myself type moment a k2 kind of k2so kind of moment yep i think he lives and i only think that because of the next character i'm gonna throw out there i think the next character that i'm gonna throw out there dies uh, I think Zeb either, uh, I think he he either lives and continues on with the rebellion, or I think he ends up retiring to a planet with Porgs. <laughs> Porgs? Yes, Porgs. Really? Just okay. just because I feel like they're gonna they're gonna have to tie into episode eight somehow, and I think they're gonna bring in Porgs, and so I'm gonna go with the fact that I think Zeb just gets sucked into the Porgs' adorableness, and he uh, he ends up living with, among the Porgs. He becomes a Porg farmer. Yeah. So the next character is Captain Rex. Oh, I mean, he already is long in the tooth, especially for still being a clone. And he's already gone through so much crap already. 
I mean, I think even he would rather die fighting than anything else. Because, I mean, that's what he was born to do. So, I mean, I, I don't really, as a character, I don't want him to be because he's kind of like the grandpa of the group. But, I mean, I, I feel like, like he's not, he's not going to survive. Yeah, I, and like I already said, I, I think he goes out. I think he goes out saving Kanan because I think that is a full circle moment because they obviously uh, did not like each other to start. Kanan obviously did not like him. He didn't trust him because he was a clone where I think Rex was more excited than anything to find out that Kanan was a Force user and a Jedi. And uh, I think it, it creates a full circle effect for Rex where he gets to go out saving, as far as he's aware, one of the last Jedi. Yeah, he gets to finally like do like what an actual officer of the Republic would have wanted to do. So I, I that's we're in consensus there. Rex is a goner, unfortunately, sadly. Uh, next character is Sabine, because among among other things, this. we don't even in the new expanded universe we don't know what's happening with the Mandalorians yet. Um, as far as anyone's aware, Boba Fett's the only one in the universe. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. I just feel like their whole planet has always been just worn torn, and I don't think that will have changed. In terms of Sabine, I feel like she survives because she's just a survivor herself. I mean, her family exiled her; she had to make it on her own. I mean, she was able to get the dark saber herself. She's a leader. I think she's she's tough enough to know. How to survive on her own so i think she i think she survives i think she makes it either as like a leader of what's left of mandalore after whatever occurs there other like the of whatever faction leaves or we'll see i'm i'm in agreement i think that sabine survives i don't know if she necessarily has a a crew of mandalorians with her Either she's going to continue on with the rebellion and um, help train new troops and recruits, or I think she's she's going to continue on with the ghost and continue on with Hera. Uh, but yeah, we're in, we're in consensus there that I think she survives. Uh, we know Chopper survives. Uh, we've talked about Rex, Zeb, AP five. I don't even really know because I, I would assume that he survives along with Chopper, and just probably gets put into service doing something else for the Rebel Alliance. I agree. I think uh, he survives as well, begrudgingly survives. Yeah, I don't... Where yeah. he, he can just Alan Rickman the rest of his life away. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he, he survives, and I think he just kind of gets... He's a protocol droid, so he's just going to continue to be doing protocol droid things for the Rebellion and giving them insights into how the empire works better than all the other protocol droids that are currently working for the rebellion (laughs) so ap5 again we're in consensus that he lives so uh it's time to get into the um meat and potatoes here and agent callus oh um hmm. see we don't see i i I pulled a i pulled a you thought i was going with going over there and i went over that way how dare you ah i'm not quite sure I mean, he's definitely proven himself, especially as Fulcrum, and then being like a member of the Empire, an officer of the Empire, or what have you. I, I feel like he survives because I, I think he has enough to contribute to like the rebellion. That I think he he would be useful enough that they would want to try and keep him on if something doesn't happen to him. 
fun fact uh agent callus's actual name is alexander so it's like alex and then sander alexander callus so just fun little side note there uh, why did they do that <laughs> i don't know it's star wars they can do what they want i think he dies i think again doing the full circle storytelling i think it gives him a satisfying and full circle ending to give his life for the rebellion that when the show started he was trying to destroy and now he's he's willing to and will give his life for the cause i guess i could see that yeah i mean i i don't know i guess i haven't really thought about like what's gonna happen with him i've been thinking about all the other characters (laughs) so much i'm not i'm not quite sure i i to me that would be the most satisfying way to go but again if, if everyone survives i'll be happy uh, I, I I don't want anything to happen to these characters. Yeah, I love them I mean, so much. Just, I want I want sixteen book series about them, even with the continuity errors that they may cause. I I agree. It's just I have that gut wrenching feeling that it's not it's not going to be the case. Yeah, it, it's very hard for it to end on a happy note. Uh, so again, continuing with the meat and potatoes, uh, Ahsoka. One is she still alive, and two does she live? I think she will live. Because I think she'll probably just leave like she had already done before. And especially if you, once you read her book, I mean, I think you'll definitely get the sense that she's just going to keep going and fight, fight the fight, so to speak, in her own way. Um, Not necessarily with either just a rebellion or what have you. If she does make an appearance, I don't, I have a hard time seeing that they're going to just kill her off because of how prominent of a character she's become. I agree. I think she lives largely because, like you're saying, she can she can carry on her own stories after this. So obviously there's a big marketing ploy there. So I, And that's not to say that any of these characters can't carry their own story afterward in a novel or in a comic book or something. I think that they're holding off on following up on a lot of these stories until after the series ends so they can conclude the stories later. So I think Ahsoka lives because technically she's not a Jedi, so she doesn't create any continuity errors uh, where Luke and Yoda and Obi-Wan are supposed to kind of be the last Jedi mm-hmm. by the time A New Hope rolls around. So that that's where Ezra and Kanan bring in a little bit of uncertainty because obviously, again, we're talking about these characters and especially Kanan, who has this not necessarily on again, off again, but has some kind of very emotional relationship with Hera. And, They're lovers. Well, we don't know specifically. Well, maybe they hooked up. We don't know. Uh, but they never, from what's alluded to in the trailers, they never actually put a label on themselves. Not in the Rebels show necessarily, but if you read the book New Dawn, you definitely know that Kanan has had the hots for Hera ever since he first saw her. Yeah, the moment he laid eyes on her, which unfortunately he can't do anymore. Um, not at least with his physical eyes. Yeah, and A New Dawn is a fun story. I I, I enjoyed that book a lot more than I did. Um, we were discussing this uh, Dark Disciple, which is a, a Clone Wars, uh, kind of an extended portion of it because they t- took notes from an episode series that they would do with Clone Wars and they turned it into this story called Dark Disciple. And the main characters are um, Quinlan Vos, Ven- Asajj Ventress, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Count Dooku, and Yoda, essentially. Uh, that's basically your main cast of the book. And I'm like, I know everyone makes it 
at least to Revenge of the Sith except Ventress. So I'm not sure how I'm going to invest in this. And somehow they found a way. It was it was a good story. I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed New Dawn, which New Dawn, you knew Kanan and Hera were going to make it, but everyone else in the story, you didn't know what was going to happen. And I think that makes for a more enjoyable storytelling experience. So as far as with Kanan... One, we know they're finally going to at least put a label on it, or they're finally going to acknowledge whatever was going on between the two of them. And two, I think it's going to be a heartbreaking moment when uh, I don't think Kanan's necessarily going to die, but something's going to happen to him, and it's going to just tear the ghost crew apart. And I don't, again, I I don't want to say he dies just because, again, I I don't want to see that moment. But I think something's going to happen where either he's going to be severely injured to the point where he's going to have to be in a back-to-tank for a very long time, or he and Ezra are going to have to go into exile and not tell anyone where they're going. We're talking about just Kanan right now? Uh, I mean, they're one and the same at this point. It's Jedi and Padawan. So, I mean, for Kanan specifically, I mean, they're... Who is it? Like Kathleen Kennedy? Yeah, they're Kathleen Kennedy is the Lucasfilm CEO. They're definitely trying to keep everything as cohesive as they can in terms of continuity. I mean, with the Rebels and with the books, with the movies, um, with the comics that have come out. So, I mean, I feel like I mean, we know that Kanan and Ezra aren't mentioned anywhere at all beyond A New Hope nowhere like they're well, beyond like, rebels even they, they aren't mentioned in rogue one um we don't we don't know how many people within the the rebel alliance actually know that they are jedi let alone force users so um yeah there's there's a lot of questions and again i i just i think i just don't want to say that they're going to be dead so like i feel like definitely something is going to occur i I don't want it to happen, but I think it would make more sense if Kanan was to die versus Ezra. I just don't think Ezra is going to die. I think he, Ezra, is going to go his own path in some of the same way that Ahsoka did. That, like, while both identify, while uh, Kanan is a Jedi Knight, and while Ezra identifies himself as a Jedi, I feel like that the, in order for them to continue on, I think they both know that they have to leave that behind, that there's there's more important things. And, and you raise a very good point, if not an inadvertent point, that uh, Rebels, although it, it is very largely based on the, the crew of the Ghost, it is Ezra's story. Uh, we start the series with Ezra um, on Lothal just being a street rat, using the Force lightly uh, to manipulate things here and there. And then, obviously, we've seen him grow as Kanan's Padawan, and we've seen him kind of fall to the dark side, but not really, because despite him using the dark side methods, he he always had the best intentions, which, I mean, you could say that about Anakin, but I think Ezra's heart wasn't as full of anger as Anakin's was at that point. He He wasn't made to believe that, like, his way of belief, his way of life as a Jedi was corrupted by something where Anakin thought that the Jedi had completely lied to him and that made him even more angry and made him fall to the dark side that much more quickly. Ezra had already lost his family before he even became a Jedi. 
Yeah, and finding the crew of the ghost, they became his new family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe Kanan dying or being so sorely injured or severely injured, maybe that's kind of what leads him to some to do something else. You you put this in my head now because you brought it up. Maybe what he's gonna do is maybe I think I think you're right. I think Kanan does have to die, not necessarily because of good storytelling, but because of what it's gonna have to it's what it's gonna force Ezra to do. And I think maybe he and Ahsoka go off and not necessarily start their own little like Jedi club over in the corner, but they're going to be force users who do good within the universe, but they're by their own means, not necessarily following the Jedi code or the Sith. Not that they would be doing this together either. Like they would be both both doing this like on their own accord separately because they both know that that's what they need to do to survive. And they're both survivors. That's what Ezra did is when he lost his family, is he did his best to survive on Lothal. And I think that's what he's going to continue doing. And with Kanan, I feel like Kanan like, knows that he's come into to serve his purpose. He, for the longest time, never knew like what that was. Like If you read New Dawn, like he didn't know. He just was going from job to job, planet to planet, like doing what he knew best to survive as Caleb Doom. So, I mean, I feel like that once he like started all of this with Ezra and with the ghosts and the crew and with Hera too, I feel like like he knows that where his fate is going, especially at, like nearing the end of this season and everything that's going to occur with Thrawn, Mandalore, Lothal. Like, I think he knows that he will have served his purpose. Yeah. And as the force wills it or what have you. Yeah. It... It's going to be a very heartbreaking and bittersweet series finale when when that final credits roll. Um, we didn't even get to touch on Saw Gerrera showing up again, uh, but he's asshole character, so I don't want to give him any more time to time than he deserves. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, it's cool that Forrest Whitaker is coming back to voice him, uh, but yeah, Saw Gerrera. I, I don't think we're supposed we're meant to like him, and they do a very good job of making him very unlikable. Well, at least so, we already know he does die. Yeah, so there's there's a small silver lining there. <laughs> I think that we're going to call it a wrap there, Derek. Thanks so much for being on. Uh, I know this nice is not your here. most uh, this is not your comfort zone, so I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Uh, again, you can follow us on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. You can email us any questions, comments, feedback. Uh, you have you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com you can follow me on twitter at josh underscore scar s-k-a-a-r derek's crackling his water bottle we also have facebook and youtube so if you don't have itunes you can always find our podcast on youtube as well so derek thanks again for being on the show i'm josh and roll that theme music